0: Tickets are fine. I'm eating a lot of eggs.
1: Fantastic Pixel Castle and Frog Pants Studios presents Word on the Street with Greg Street and Scott Johnson. and welcome to another Word on the Street. This is episode four, and it's our episode for February 2024. Uh, We welcome you all to today's discussion. Greg Street, welcome back, man. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. Four episodes. We're
1: doing this. Can you believe it? I feel like that's a commitment now. We haven't, you know, uh, under four, it was like, well, what are they going to do? And now we're at four. This is it. We're locked in. Not turning back. All right. Long-term commitment. Yeah. Like that's go- okay. Okay. Go ahead, Candice. When what you we run
2: out of, when out of stuff to talk about for the game, I'll just start talking about my favorite movies in 2023 because <laughs> it was a wonderful year for cinema. Oh,
1: yeah, it was. It was a great year for movies. Oh, my gosh. We're going to have to have some off-air conversations because I'm a huge cinephile, and I loved last year. Well, anyway, we're here to talk about Ghost and its production like we are every time we do this. And uh, thanks for all your great feedback for the last couple of episodes, everybody. We really appreciate it. We have some of your feedback coming in the show a little bit later. Um and uh, it's very good to be here. What is uh, also exciting is we have another guest, and you heard her already. Welcome to the show, Content Design Director at Ghost at FPC. It's Candace Thomas. Candace, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me. Super been, excited to be here.
1: Been looking forward to this for a bit because um, I told you pre show, but there have been people in my circles who, have, who are like, we need to have that Candace person on, is how they put it. <laughs> and I kept going, uh, all right, that sounds good. I just think they really liked your energy and your passion for, uh, all things ghost. And also I think some of your experience is pretty, pretty cool. Um, let's talk about that for a second. You spent a bunch of time at, uh, at Blizzard on world of Warcraft. You worked on new world, uh, also on the new unreleased riot MMO, uh, a couple other things that, that mythical, uh, Lord of the Rings MMO, we all heard about happening at Amazon studios that ended up not happening. Um, you, you've seen some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I time. would
2: say I am an MMO aficionado. That's for sure. I play them. I make them. I I, I tried not to make MMOs for a little while, and, all, and then I just got roped back in. I just love MMOs. Yeah.
1: I, I, I love them as well. And I think that uh, that's been the one uh, thread through all of this is all of you are such MMO heads over there at FPC that, uh, I don't know, I just feel like Ghost has no chance of not being great. So uh, that's my prediction this early in the process. Anyway, That's what we
0: tell our investors.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so your focus, obviously, with the company is as I uh, as I mentioned, content design director. Now that may sound like to some people like a very broad term or a very very broad job, but can you kind of summarize what you at least how you define that role?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it is it's broad as hell. Uh, basically, there's three people. Uh, four, if you count, and Greg kind of counts, I guess. Um, <laughs> there's like three little schools of thought. Whenever we're making the prototype, at least for the game right now, which is like there's the the three C's. If you've ever heard of that, character controls camera. Uh, also, you could do like lump combat into that if you wanted to say like four C's. And that's um that's Brian. Y'all have already met Brian probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's. I like to mention Ed because Ed's kind of like our UX design. That's going to be a lot of our, like, interface, our HUD. If you watched the last stream, it's a lot of our philosophy around mods, stuff like that, um, and just, like, the feel of the game and the feel of playing the game. And then um, then there's me, which is, like, what features are we putting in the game? Uh, red zones, blue zones, how do those work? Raiding, dungeons, all the content that you that you think about that isn't on the player side that's basically going to fall under the umbrella of my team eventually once we staff up the team. But for now, it's just it's just me and Greg and Christina in a lonely room figuring out blue shards.
1: Do you guys are gonna <laughs> miss you're gonna miss that those days when you know things will have to get bigger because they just will. That'll become the workload. But are you gonna miss that kind of um, I don't know tight knit little group of of communicators who are building a game from nothing?
2: Hell no. I love having a big team of people to like bounce ideas off of and like dream with. And I really would like a rewards designer. Just going to plug that here. I know we're not hiring yet, but man, would that, would that make me feel a lot better? Uh, but, you know, I mean, the, the small team dynamic is great. You move a lot faster. There's a, it's a lot easier to get alignment. It's a lot easier to plot out your vision for something and, and figure it out. But also more voices in the room always helps, especially when it comes to people who are MMO veterans or are new to MMOs so I I actually can't wait until I at least have like I don't know like a good seven to ten designers to just kind of like bounce things off of that's my sweet spot I think and maybe that comes from my my origins uh when I first became a designer I was an encounter designer on World of Warcraft and our team was about seven folks strong and so I probably anchored around that
1: Mm -hmm. pretty strong very nice so let's talk for a second about Blue Zone Red Zones Um, it's come up a bunch and in the AMA, you guys did a pretty good job of sort of explaining it, but I think there's been enough time and maybe enough new eyeballs on following ghost as a project. They'd like to understand it a little more fundamentally. Um, and because your, uh, job is what it is, it sounds like that is a big deal. So, uh, explain for the folks at home, the elevator pitch for blue zones, red zones, how they might interact, what they even are.
2: Sure. So Uh, Blue zones are are, our thesis for what's going to make the game interesting. So maybe I should actually skip those first and talk about what's not a blue zone first. Sure. Uh, Red zones. Red zones are your traditional MMO content. If you think about MMOs, there's like a handcrafted world with a lot of handcrafted experiences, with a lot of handcrafted story, uh, and things like your raids, things like your dungeons, your big public spaces, your calendars, your Un'Goro craters, your stuff like that. Uh, those are red zones. When we want to stay, we're still an MMO. We want to stay true to that kind of experience. Um, We want you to feel like you're playing an MMO, like a big contiguous world with a lot of people that has the things, the dynamics that make a big open world interesting, things like open world PVP, things like open world questing, things like open world shared activities. We're pulling a lot of inspiration from like the stuff that feels good in the open world like some things i think feel less good in the open world like linear storytelling questing is like fine but sometimes i think that's better served in an instance and thing like a like an adventure in sea of thieves or like a scenario in world of warcraft where like you're going through with your friends and you're making a big impact on the world whereas like in the open world in like public what would be considered like a public red space red shard red zone uh that would be that would be uh, we'd still want to have that traditional experience where you're feeling like you're being breadcrumbed around the world, right? Like where you are exploring this village and finding out the local story about that and you're going to the next place and you're piecing together the, the bigger narrative of the world. But we uh, are trying to draw inspiration from the places that are just like great open world spaces. Like Timeless Isle in World of Warcraft is one that we use a lot. There's a lot of dynamic events going on and you can always feel like you can slop yourself into that and like have fun with a group of people. I think Rift was really good for that. I loved Rift as an MMO because mm, yeah. there was this notion there would be these rifts that open up in the world. You it would it's kind of like a fate in Final Fantasy, things like that, where like people would gather and based on how well you did, the next rift that spawned would be like harder or better and you'd have more folks and you're kind of like building this mass of folks and doing fun stuff together. And so, anyways, the it's 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 a lot to say, but like red shards will be that big open world experience you expect with most of the trappings that you expect. We're hoping to improve on some of it, but we really want other players and that interaction with other people to shine in our, in our open world red zones.
1: How key is, is dynamic content in that regard? So let, uh, if I'll just use an example, um, you mentioned the aisles, that was a pretty, I, I really enjoyed that when they did it. But one of the problems we ran into at the tail end of uh, that expansion, I guess it was Pandaria was the feeling that i'd I'd been to all the places, none of it was really changing, so I knew right where a certain uh regular repeatable boss would would spawn. I knew where these caves led, I knew where that river was, and I knew where this place was like all of those things just became they were open and they were in a world, but that that world didn't feel like it changed much after that and once you kind of knew the place, it just sort of felt like, well, this is like driving to work every day. I just kind of know where to go and what i have to do and then i know how to drive back um are there any ideas in your head this early on to to hopefully make that world i guess it depends on size too but make that world feel like it's not new every time but it but it's dynamic in a sense that when you get in there you're not exactly sure what to expect
2: there's two things that come to mind when you talk about that one is kind of like our shard structure and like the, the the structure of our narrative in that we have these in our narrative there are like worlds that can blip in and out of existence. You can either like unite them with the city. There's like shards that are floating around that, that I don't want to get like too much into the lore because we haven't kind of like reconciled a lot of that yet. But the, the notion that the the red zones are ever changing, that that sometimes there will be zones that aren't there anymore and sometimes there will be new zones that come in. Um that's that's kind of there's like a long term dynamism there. But what you're talking about, that like freshness, that uniqueness, that variety, yeah. that's kind of not what we're indexing on for red zones. We want that familiarity. Some, yeah. There's something really comforting about learning a zone, about, um, you know, knowing where all the POIs are and going back to that city that you saved and maybe like role playing there or having a good reason to visit it. There, There is something that's like part of the traditional MMO formula that feels good about having those known spaces. However, I mean, that segues into what Blue Zones are and what Blue Zone superpower, because we agree like that does feel like one of those things that we could bring to the genre to improve that, like, there is something new and there's always something new that you can you can explore, you can find. But that's probably not the strength of Red Zones in our game. Does that sound Mm -hmm. about right to you, Greg?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. We wanted to preserve part of the magic of MMOs and that's where the red zones come in because we thought if we just have randomly generated zones all the time, maybe we lose too much of that, that feeling of stepping into Silithus or Eastern Plaguelands or some end game zone where you kind of know what to expect and have an idea of what the other players are going to be
1: doing. I mean, a lot of what I'm hearing, a lot of what I hear from this is, or at least my impressions from the AMA were a little bit like, okay, well they're kind of talking about as uh, for blue zones, which we'll now get into, but the idea of it sort of being like instances were in early wow, which at the time people forget how innovative that was. Um, You know, we were used to EverQuest where everything had a load screen and, and you would have to, you know, if you were going to transition from one zone to another, it meant you were going to sit for 20 seconds with a, with a nice piece of art and wait to get in there. (laughs) And while that's still true for instances, um, those other worlds would handle that with people waiting in line to get to content and, trying to create an honor system where, well, you took down that boss. We're going to wait patiently in line here outside the cave. And then when you're done, we'll come in, wait for the spawn, then kill the thing. Um, how, will you, how will that feel? Uh, as you now ex- sort of explain uh, Blue Zones in more detail, I just wanted to squeeze that in there, wedge that in there as a, as a thing, you know, as a player anyway. I'm curious how that is going to feel when you transition between these two things. And how will, will I even notice?
0: Right now we're thinking you you will notice because the, the gameplay rules will be different. Like in a blue zone, you kind of go with a set group. Randos aren't going to show up there unless they're invited. Whereas a red zone is more, its it's any player is out there. So right now we're thinking they feel very different if they're, if they're islands out in the ocean, you're making a decision. I'm going to go to a blue island right now, or I'm going to go to a red island instead. And there'll be some type of transition, hopefully more interesting than an actual loading bar will like show your character journeying to the next chart or something.
1: Right. Does that jive with what your plans are, Candice?
2: Yeah, th- definitely. That's not going to be a contiguous, like no load screen, it, screen experience. One of the things we're trying to solve for right now in prototype is how do we get that load? as short as possible because we wanna make a world that's unique just for you on demand. But what is our technology capable of? How quickly can we get that? And so definitely won't be no load time. We're, we're, we're trying to get it around like the 10 second mark. And so that's like one of our big constraints whenever we come into pr- prototyping is like, what technology can we use to give you these explorable worlds and like, what how varied can they really be? And, and, and what are the axes for change? Can it be the terrain? Hopefully, it can be the terrain. Likely, it can be the terrain. Uh, but, but also, like, what else? What else are we are we giving you? That's that's unique. Um, so that every time you 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 spend one up, it's like it's fresh, it's new. There's you get that sense of exploration, and hopefully, we give you a lot of interesting tools that make that exploration with your friends interesting.
1: Mm. So, what will be the difference? Just fundamentally, the difference between say transitioning from the open world, quote unquote, red zone, and to these group specific places let's call them wonderful magical places you know blue zones we can call them that on on paper but really that's what we want the player to feel like they're going into a a cool new place is there really a difference between that and say loading into a dungeon and doing some sort of raid uh is this more than just labeling this blue zones when really it's just hey we're 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 doing a 10 man raid this afternoon like what's the difference
2: interesting um maybe i should harken back to like some of the stuff that we're trying to do, that's the difference between red zones and blue zones, because we do want it to feel like a very different experience within the same confines, well, within the confines of like the same game. So an example could be, this is a small one, but like the kind of questing that you would do in a red zone is that traditional, like maybe you're getting breadcrumbed from place to place, very kind of like linear storytelling. Uh, Joe lost her necklace. She tells you she lost it at the river. So you go to the river and then you get to the river and there's a monster. And then I'm doing a really bad job of, of selling that I should be making this game. But then, oh okay, yeah, then you find the necklace and then you take it back. But Joe's not there. Where did Joe go? Oh no, she got trapped in the mine or something. And that kind of like linear experience, right? Mm. Um, and you'll be revisiting the same places. You'll be being breadcrumbed around from place to place. I feel like. We're going to try to do less of that in a procedurally generated. I say procedurally generated, even though that's kind of like a, it's kind of a bad word. We're not, I'm not sure if it's actually going to be like procedural, whether it's going to be combinatoric, but I'll just call it like, I'll call it procedural, even though we we kind of prefer the term like highly variable mm. just because we're not sure what that's going to look like. But imagine the difference between, I haven't said it yet, but the difference between the red zones and the blue zones is like red zones are handcrafted. It's the same every time uh, that can be a public space. Like, Calendar. it can be a private space like the dead mines right it's like every time you go into the dead mines it might be slightly different like the monsters might have a different patrol or um
0: maybe you're wearing a boss on one time but it's still not super variable right right
2: or the trash is like configured like a little bit differently so you want to change your strategy a little bit but but it's always the same it's the same pattern you get to this room first you kill this boss first you kill this boss next you end on the ship all that stuff sure um whereas like a blue zone you don't have that same expectation coming into it because like a game of Valheim or like a game of traditional like survival games, you can't just look on the Internet about like, where am I going to go next? What's the X, Y, Z coordination? How do I get there? Um, because they'll be procedurally generated. And so so the kinds of objectives you can do, I, I personally don't think that doing a linear objective like now find the river whereas like you don't know where the river is mm. because it, the river is different for me and it's different for greg and it's different for you i don't think that really adds much to that like linear experience but what you could expect is objectives to be more um location-based or like world-based like fates in final fantasy where like there's something going on in this region you walk into it you complete that you walk away it's done or you walk in you don't complete it you walk away later they're still in conflict or maybe they're not in conflict anymore because now that event is over. But does that make any sense? There's like quests that are stored on you in your journal. That's like, you can always come back to it. Like Joe's always going to be missing her necklace for as long as you are playing world of Warcraft, as long as you have not finished that quest in your journal, then Joe is missing her necklace. Right. Whereas like in blue zones, you won't have that same expectation that everything is going to be permanent or that, um, you're always going to be able to, that you'll be led from one objective to the next objective. It's probably going to be something more in the location, if that makes sense.
1: It does. The 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 challenge, I would assume, just from a philosophical standpoint, players, I don't know, you'd have to, it depends on what player you ask, but a lot, I think a lot of players think what they want is, I want everything to be dynamic and new. I want it to be like an adventure I've never had before every time I get in there. And at the end of the day, the truth is they probably also want some familiarity. They want some repetition. They want something that anchors them to, well, we know what we need to do. In a traditional MMO, it's we got to go in there and we got to do this trash. And the only difference between this trash run and the last trash run might be we read a a strategy today or saw a YouTube video that said, you can avoid three-fourths of the trash if you go around this corner. Okay, so we're trying that tonight. So that was different, but still it's sort of, reliable. And you know that the boss that you're going to fight at the end is the same boss and your ability to take him down at whatever difficulty depends on the team's skill and cohesion and all that stuff. So everybody always wants dynamic content and then, but they also kind of want familiarity. The one place I think it's always worked out pretty well. It's a very different game, but the Diablo series is very strong at saying here is a procedurally generated dungeon. It is not the same when you come in here next time ever, it's going to be laid out differently. It's mostly geographic, but but still, it's different enough that you don't memorize corridors and that sort of thing. And
0: the monsters are random too. Yeah,
1: problem. exactly. That's another good point. Those are often random, and sometimes events within there are random. What you just described, Candace, sounds a bit more like that, which I'm all for, by the way, because I I like that kind of experience. Um, but at the end of the day, how how do you make it so that it doesn't just boil down to well, it was a little different getting here, but at the end of the day, I I need this amulet because this is going to complete my set so I'm fighting this boss and and I'm getting out of here like how do you uh, it's kind of philosophical and obviously you're early in the game so maybe this is appropriate to ask now but how do you reconcile those those kinds of things
2: it's interesting because I think I agree with you that familiarity is really important especially when you're leveling your third alt and you just want to know where you have to go you know you want to feel comfortable. I can do this pattern of dungeons and get from this level to this level. And like, that's known to me and that's the experience I want to have. I think red zones are really powerful for that. Um, blue zones though, we're, we're going to try to lean into the objectives that make exploration more fun. So like, if you want to do exploration, then that's why the phil- the philosophy for those quests is like their quests in the moment, their quests in that area, their quests that might come and go. The world might be dynamically changing even as you're there, and you might feel like, oh, I want to do this thing first and this thing second because if I do this thing second, maybe the druids will win versus the goblins. Like we're 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 thinking about all of that, but also the gameplay loop can be quite different. And I don't know, I don't know, Greg do you, do you want me to talk about like what we're thinking currently?
0: Yeah, I think I think that would be fine. I, I was just going to add that I think you're right, Scott, is players are sometimes in different mindsets, and sometimes they want something that's familiar, and the, the skill they're really testing there is execution. Like, we know what the boss is going to do. It's just a question of can we pull it off or not? And sometimes that's exactly what you want. You, you know, you want to go to that restaurant you go to all the time and order your favorite dish because you know what it's going to be. Other times you're feeling a little more adventurous. You're like, well, I've never gone to this hole in the wall place. Let's see what that's all about. And that's more like our blue zones, where the, the key is exploration and seeing what's over the next hill, and and you don't know what's out there, which is really hard to deliver in an MMO because everyone is so focused on going from like quest to quest to dungeon in the most efficient way.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And if yeah. you... Yeah. Go ahead, Candice. Go ahead. I have a follow-up uh, on that, just... but I want to hear what you had to say.
2: No, go ahead, because I was going to go on a tangent.
1: Um, I, I was just going to say, maybe there's a... <laughs> I'm not trying to throw ideas at the team. I swear this will never happen on this show. But I had this, just this thought. You know, right now, uh, World of Warcraft is a good example. They they've made it so that dungeons have levels of difficulty. And they've been doing this for a long time. In fact, I'm pretty sure Greg had a hand in most of this before uh, you left Blizzard. But going from normal to heroic to mythic, uh, mythic keystones, all this stuff is ways of making those experiences both repeatable and new from at least a difficulty standpoint. Um, you're changing up the mechanics a little bit so that people have to behave differently. Different affixes.
0: Now you have, I, I forget all the affixes they have. Now you have a affix that means all the mobs are poisonous. And so the experience is a little different.
1: Right. And you've got to be, you know, there's, there's extra, you know, gear checking happening at a higher level. And there's just the, you know, it just adds something to the familiar, but is still dynamic uh, in a way it would be really cool. I, I would think that if on some sort of normal level, let's say I've I've gone to, I don't know if it's a story-driven thing or not, but whatever reason I've gone into this procedural experience uh, into a red zone, uh, sorry, blue zone. Uh, i got to keep my reds and blues right. Uh, I've gone in there to do my thing and I can go do my thing and we're done, we're out. But there's a way to say, I don't know if it's as simple as flipping a switch, but just for sake of saying it, we flip a switch that says, this time, this uh, time, there's a chance his brother shows up in the fight, and now we have two bosses at the same time. Or there's a chance that there's a new hallway opened up that has got a ton of gold in it, but to get in there, we got to do blah, blah, blah. It sounds like maybe that's on the table here, Candace. Is that kind of, I, I'm not trying to say specifically this is what you're doing, but you're trying to create a feeling of, I'm not just going to do the same thing. I'm going in to do the same thing, or I can, it can be more than that. Or will they even have a choice? Is the player just going to have to go with whatever's in front of them?
2: Um, I think one of the reasons that you don't do that in traditional MMO content where like you go into the dungeon and suddenly there's like a much harder a much different boss is like you worry about that balance of rewards like someone's gonna have to spend an extra 45 minutes to do something that normally only took 30 minutes to do and then it adds pressure to the team to decide what they want to do and so like you lose all that familiarity you lose all that mastery you know like the tank may have made the most efficient route through the dungeon. They're really proud of that, right? And, and they feel they feel mastery over that kind of thing. Whereas like Blue Zones, that, that, that's exactly what we're talking about for Blue Zones. We're talking about the combi- it's Like, So I'll start by saying, you will see some of the same stuff in Blue Zones, between Blue Zones. It's not, not like an infinite variety turning device where you'll never see the same monster twice. You'll never run into the same enemy uh, twice. Right. That's just not the reality. Like we're not able to make a game that big. However, we're hoping that the combinatorics of the situations surrounded surrounding encountering that boss again. For example, um, if we have like enough like joyful traversal in the game that like maybe this time that you see this boss, he is on a ledge. And that's really interesting because you're like diving off the cliff sometimes or you're pushing enemies off the cliff, whereas like he's not always at on a cliff sometimes uh, is, is a good example. Or, um or yeah maybe next time you encounter that boss they remember that you encountered them and they remembered what you did and and how you bested them and so maybe they call in their friend and they're like hey um kind of like in Hades whenever you kill the same monster again they're like you know maybe it's a different monster the next time or they just have that memory of like oh I remember you um that's that's some of the stuff we're talking about but also just like the the fact that there are like kind of infinite combinatorics there, we're hoping we'll keep that fresh. So for example, if you were to, as a content designer for a red zone MMO, for like a handcrafted MMO, you would have to create a. Let's say you wanted to give players a lot of different ways to approach a boss encounter. You want to say the boss is in this big hut and um, I want you to be able to like kite things. So I need to make a big enough open space for you to be able to kite things and like CC things. Um, But I also want to make it possible For you to like open with rolling a boulder down a hill nearby and then taking out some of the ads. And then I also want you to be able to sneak into the back of the hut and try to, you know, stealth sap some things like you you need to handcraft all of these, these combinatoric things, right? I don't want to say combinatoric, but all of these different approaches, right? And so as a content designer...
0: Anticipate anything the players might want to do and build it ahead of time. Right.
2: And build it ahead of time. And you don't really have enough at-bats with that content. You're only making six or seven boss fights to make that a varied experience where there's wrong answers. Like, you either have to make the the hut where, like, everyone can access the back so that you can sap the monsters and you can CC them, or you have to put a convenient trap next to every boss fight to make sure that there's always, like enough chances for you to use those kind of things but like in a procedurally generated world what's interesting is sometimes you'll have those things available to you because they will be generated next to like the circumstance of where the boss is where these interesting traps are where these openings and and entrances and exits are that like you're going to see a lot of that variety and hopefully that makes those toolkits feel even more special like oh I can't always just roll the boulder so that's not always the right answer but I know. I noticed that as a player, I'm going to try to roll the boulder this time. And so, it's kind of like a really shitty way to describe why I think that blue zones are are really powerful for yeah. variety. But it's just kind of like as a handcrafted content designer, you don't get the at bats. You don't get enough content to give people enough variety. And so, we're hoping to to get that in our game, where like there's there's obviously the right answer sometimes, but that uh, that answer is not always available to you. Yeah. If that makes any you sense. You
1: are speaking my language because I I'll <laughs> admit as someone who did a lot of raiding in the past, I really don't like raiding anymore. And the reason I don't like it that much is because it is so rote. There's the initial yeah. thing, but a lot of times they're making us go to YouTube and check everything out before we can get into the raid. And we kind of seen it now and now we just got to do the dance and that's fine. And you know, I do like to go and Wow. I'll go through LFR every time there's a new wing. Cause I just want to see it and then I'm good. And, um, I think that's a good thing that they gave people. Again, I think another Greg contribution back, back in the day that continues to be the gift that keeps giving. But <laughs> when you're speaking my language, you're kind of describing what I would call those recent, uh, hitman games in a way. Now they're a little more sandboxy, right? It's like, well, I could throw this onion at his head or I could shoot him or I could run this way or I could fall off. You know, there's a billion choices that you can make in any given situation, but you do have the construct that I'm in this building and I, have these tools available in different places. And I can approach from the back or the front, that that sounds kind of like what you're describing. And that would bring me back into rating hardcore, not just rating, but just group content where we need to rely on each other a lot more than what is currently on offer. And I think it's because of what you're describing, this, this multiple entry point, multiple possibilities. Uh, and when usually when you provide enough of those multiple possibilities, the player will also find additional ones on top of it or combinations of those possibilities that make for some pretty crazy moments that change things up and maybe cause you guys to have to patch it. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But um, but that's really interesting to me. Uh, I don't want to lose track of a term you just used, though. You said joyful traversal. Mm. And I love that term um, because my favorite games, especially big sprawling RPGs, single player, multiplayer doesn't matter. The ones that I love the most are the ones that are giving me the best experience while I'm working my way through that world and not feeling bogged down or slowed down or stopped or, or whatever. Uh, think of it as the freedom I feel with Mario and me getting stuck uh, coming to an abrupt stop with, with Sonic. It's kind of like that. Like, I don't want to have stops. I want to have a feeling this world is fun to be in and also, you know, I'll get more to the hitman thing in a minute because I think there's some D and D inspiration here. But let's talk just for a second about a joyful traversal. How important is that? And what are what? Give me some examples of what you're doing to make that part of the game joyful? Just getting around in it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's really important. The it's in fact, I have like a whole matrix uh, in mural right now about the different biomes that we could be building in the game. So not just don't just think about like frost biomes and desert biomes and grasslands biomes. Think about like crazy anti-gravity mushroom biomes. Like we're trying to brainstorm things that, that feel fantastical that feel like these worlds are are very different. Um, but we're also considering whenever we make a new biome is like, what are the traversal methods that shine during this biome? So for example, if there's a biome that has a lot of trees and we have like a grappling hook or you're swinging around like, like Spider-Man or something like that, like that's going to feel amazing in that biome. It's not going to feel great in a grassland where you don't have things to grapple to. Mm. And so we're trying to think about like, what are the traversal methods that would make each biome or each like biome might be a bad word for it, but like each terrain type feel much better and really indexing in those things. So and and some of that interesting decision making doesn't just come in the moment to moment. It comes in the investment in the world. And so if you think about Blue Zones as something you're just investing time in, and I don't, we said this before, but I haven't said it yet um, in this podcast. So I'll say like, the idea behind a Blue Zone is that you can complete them, right? That it's not something you don't have one Blue Zone that you have open for the entire expansion. And that's the only Blue Zone that you play. You might have one blue zone that you like to put your, your home in or your guild house in or something and say, like, this is the world that's all mine and I want to put my house here. But the idea behind blue zones is that you're going to want to be doing a lot of them and completing them. Mm. And so um, the idea is that there's an interesting tension then in how much you invest in each blue zone, how much infrastructure you invest in. Can you build roads between two things to make it faster to bring your ore back to your outpost? Uh, or do you even want to do those things? And the hope is that there's enough variety in the game that sometimes it's the right answer to build a road between the two things, and in which case there's traversal. There could be traversal like, I guess traversal is a bad word for it. But if you think of like the cart in Valheim, mm. where like the cart is pretty unwieldy, it's hard to man- manage. No it's a very efficient way to bring your resources around, but it's also very fragile and it has its own trade-offs. And like, what if you could build a road between the two things and make that really easy? And like, yeah, it took me maybe 15 minutes to build a road between my base and this thing, but now I can more easily transport my things around. And so we're hoping that this world will give you a lot of opportunities to decide how much you want to invest in this space before you churn through it. And what I love about the potential there is that that can also mean in terms of difficulty and the things that you do and you don't want to do. And so if there's a boss that you decide, I don't want to do this thing, maybe you shouldn't have to do that boss. Maybe you can just pitch that blue zone into the sun and say, you know what, we're done with this one. We're going to cash this one and we're all done. And I don't want to do that. Um, mm. I think choice is really important in that I, I say this a lot, but like in a game where you're expected to do all of the content and you don't have any real choice. And I don't want to say like you don't, most games will have optional objectives right they'll have like i'll give an example of, and wow there's the pet battle system yeah. it's completely optional you can go through their whole your whole career playing wow without doing a single pet battle or like archaeology some of the trade skills are, com- are completely optional but often in an mmo there's like when there's a new expansion or whenever there's a new set of content it's expected that you're going to go through all of it and they're going to um synergize with each other like you want to do the quest so that you can do the dungeons and then you want to do the dungeons so that you, you can do the raids and then you want to do this system of crafting legendaries so that you can do better raids but then in order to do that you have to do this other feature and they're all kind of like entangled together so that you're expected to to go through all of the content right Right. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, but, pre- but, the prerequisite oh. thing that a lot of games do. Wow, wow, scaled back that stuff. But I, you know, I remember the attunement days and all that. Oh my gosh, dude, it's a lot. Yeah,
2: pre- prerequisites, but also just kind of like that synergy between all of the content to make sure that you're doing all of it. Sure. And what that does, though, for a game, in my experience, is it makes the game feel too big in the sense that when you're an, an approaching player and you're saying, I want to play this new expansion. It's like, well, you have to know how to do your dailies here and then you have to know how to get your weekly resource there. And then you have to do this dungeon every week because you're just leaving or this raid every week or else you're leaving loot on the table. And then. Um,
0: and it's your rep grind or you won't have the right shoulder in chance. You need to do that as well. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right. And so the game feels really big. Right. But then also, once you know what that core loop is, the game kind of feels small. There's nothing else. There's nothing that you don't want to do. There's nothing like there's this optional side adventure that I don't need to do or like a bunch of bosses in the world that could potentially give me loot, but I don't need to do it. I don't know. And so I think that Blue Zones actually give us the opportunity to give you a lot of content to say no to, which might make the world feel a lot bigger.
1: Um, Rick in the chat had a really interesting point. He says, in old school RuneScape, there is a raid that has randomized layouts. And the meta is to restart the raid over and over until you have the optimal layout, which feels like a risk of this semi-randomness idea. Um, How would you respond to that? I mean, obviously, there's risk to every big design choice you make in the game, but um, that, that in particular, are you worried about that at all?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a worry, especially whenever it comes to itemization and how lucrative the blue zones are and the kinds of things that you can get in blue zones. Um, But I I hear what you're saying there. I I remember there's also sometimes when raids have that kind of that kind of um, variance, I remember there was a raid once in world of warcraft where like the boss would either start on the left or the right zone yeah. part of the zone. And so you would to walk in and you would wipe until the boss was on the left side because it was slightly more optimal for the boss to be on the left side. It's something that's on our radar. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts about it, Greg, but I, I I'm hoping that if the, if you don't like the layout of your blue zone, if you're not having a good time in your blue zone, you feel okay. Just saying, you know what, I'm going to start the next one over and it's not a huge time loss or, and, or like investment that I was making that I don't, feel good
0: about i I agree with that on the one hand we don't anticipate players kind of flushing through multiple blue zones until they find a good one because that requires exploration you don't know what's over the next hillside you can't just look and say like oh there's no gold on this one okay i'm gonna i'm gonna restart like there will always be gold it's just a matter of where you can find it Mm -hmm. but to candace's point if you find something that's just not working for you like oh we got witches and a castle and a dragon and giants all on this one it's too much okay it's okay to like abandon that one and just go do another one same way sometimes you just decide not to finish a dungeon run because it's not you're not having fun
1: so if you have the breadth of content to allow for that meaning the players have if they're if they just are like oh i can't do this in here today we don't have the right comp or whatever the thing is yeah to be able to say kind of resign and say well there's always this and you got like a list of 20 other things they could go do and they're just as excited about. I mean, that seems like the, the, the kicker, right? If you can do that, then it isn't just, well, this is the only raid there is. And if we're quitting tonight, well, I guess I'll see you guys next Wednesday. You know, like right. that's, that's very defeating. But the way it's being described here today, it sounds like that, you know, if there's enough variance in the things they can do, when they can do them and how they want to do them, this shouldn't be a problem if they run into a wall. Um.
2: Yeah, my main fear is just that like we make things that that are cool enough that people try to fish for them. And that feels really bad where it's like, oh, there's like a follower that I can get or something or there's like a pet that I can get, but it only appears during this, like in this biome during this quest or something. And so some people know, oh, I have to find this particular quest in a blue zone. I'm really sensitive to that. We're trying to design around that. The hope is that you never feel like you're fishing for the right blue zone.
1: So some players, um, I just got a text from a friend of mine who's listening to this live. He's, he's a very adamant solo player of MMOs. He says that had MMOs not moved mostly with wow, but moved to a format where you could do a lot of the game on your own. He would not be playing MMOs. Does this kind of blue zone content and these concepts strictly group play or are the solo players among us going to enjoy this stuff? And And it's a
0: really good answer there about um, like job differentiation, like the explorer versus the decorator. Do Mm -hmm. you want to talk about that a bit?
2: Yeah, I think that there's okay. So if you think about what the the core loop of a blue zone could be, imagine that um, in the same way that you would decide to run a dungeon in another MMO, like I've done my raids for the week. I've explored everything in the public red spaces that I want to do Now, what are we going to do for the rest of the week? Is there something that we can do that feels worthwhile? Hopefully that's kind of like where blue shards come in and there's enough variety that always feels like it's, it's, it's cool. Um, The, I, so knowing that like going into what the intention of a blue zone is, might help with, with that answer. um, Because you shouldn't need to have a synchronous raid party to open a blue shard and want to do things. You should feel like you're empowered to do a lot of things in, including complete the entire blue zone by yourself if you want to. So imagine that there's an objective. So if you if you imagine the core loop of a blue zone, one of the like narrative focused blue shards could be um, it's a world and you have to decide the fate of the world. Whether you want to unite the shard with the city and help it out, otherwise it might like fade into exist into non-existence. You might want to decide like no, this shard actually isn't worth saving. We should destroy it. Or you might decide. I don't want to do the shard at all. I want to leave. Another option could be like, I love the shard so much. I want to make it my home shard. Um, But the, the notion of going into this is like, this thing is completable. There are a set of objectives that I can do. Hopefully I don't feel like I have to do all of the objectives. There's like one key objective, which could be like uniting it with the city or destroying it or something like that. And that would take some amount of hours for you to do yourself. However, hopefully we're giving you interesting opportunities to do stuff along the way, like get interest get rewards from like side quests or to get interesting like followers to bring back to your home base or to br- get, get interesting stuff you want to bring home to like decorate or, you know, um, like patterns and blueprints and recipes and stuff like that. Like you feel like you have a lot of opportunities to still like advance both like the progression of your character, but also the progression of your home. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so my, my point, sorry, I was getting a little bit uh, tangential. A solo player should be able to feel like they're empowered to open a blue shard and take it to its logical end. The hope, though, is that there is enough compelling stuff that you'll want to do that isn't just like go to the blue shard and complete the objective. Mm. And then the the stretch hope there is that those things are more compelling to do with other people. Um, so we talked about having roles in the game that weren't just traditional tank killer DPS roles. So... Example being, um, a blue shard opens up. It could be quite large. Um, one thing that's really helpful is to have someone who's just really good at traversal, has a lot of like movement speed, can move around the map a lot and mark things on the map to say, oh, here's something interesting we want to do. Here's something else we should do. And here's my recommended route that we're going to take through the zone. And then um, when someone else joins, they can say like, oh, all this stuff has been revealed to me. That's really nice. Um, we're hoping that there's... Some people who really enjoy that investment in the zone, like I was telling you about, the people that like to build the infrastructure, the roads. The people who, let's say that, um, let's say that uh, one one of the constraints we're thinking about putting on blue zones is like kind of like an extraction shooter, like limiting the amount of stuff you can take out of that blue shard to your home blue shard or to your inventory mm. in the main city, stuff like that. And so there's an interesting tension there between like, do I just want to, let's say there's carrot seeds or something. Do I just want to take 25 carrot seeds knowing maybe I can't take more than 25 items off of this planet? It won't be 25, but but for my, for sake of argument, or do I want to like build a plot of land and make high quality carrots and then convert that into carrot soup and then enchant that carrot soup so I can take like one really good item out of this thing instead of 25, Ingredients out of this thing, mm. and so the, the hope there is, there's like an interesting tension there, um, and so getting back to answering your question, hopefully that's just like a lot of investment that you'll want to put in the world, and maybe and you can do it all of your all by yourself, but it's really nice to have that person who's like, I'm going to go get a bunch of stuff, and I'm going to organize our bags, or I'm going to be the person who does a lot of the the combining. Like you can go get a lot of the ingredients. And as long as you bring it back to the house, I'll get log in once a day and I'll combine it for us as long as we have like a laundry list of the things that we're trying to achieve. And then like it's kind of like a consensus between players. Like, are we ready to to finish this blue shard? Do we want to start our next blue shard? Um, but ultimately the owner of the the blue shard would or the owner of like whoever likes launched the instance would have the ultimate control over where it goes and, and what happens. And so Oh, it's a long way to say, like, yes, you can complete it by yourself. But hopefully we've made enough compelling systems that you want to have friends around.
0: There's kind of I'd say there's there's two ways to play solo. One is you just want a solo game experience. You just want to play like Skyrim or Baldur's Gate and you don't want other players at all. You could play Ghost that way. Like, we're not going to kick you out. It's just probably not going to be as, you know, as fun or or certainly as efficient as having a group. Another way to play solo is you have friends, but you just can't commit to like a regular raid schedule or you have to play at funny times. That's fine. You can play with the group like asynchronously and you can make progress when they're not online and you're still all like chatting about it the next day, but you don't have to worry about, okay, everyone log on at 8 PM. Cause that's when we're going to start playing. So hopefully that kind of player we can cater really well to.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Um, also what I'm hearing is confirmed, uh, advanced carrot farming and maybe a rabbit based race. Is that what I'm getting out of all this? We're going to, we're going to farm some carrots and, uh, That's the game. Uh, No, I I like the idea that I can do a lot of things alone as a player. Um, But I also like the idea that this is, I mean, you just, Greg, you just described my schedule. This is, this is how I have to play these kinds of games now. It's a, well, we'll get together when we can, but if we can't, is someone working on this? So we'll have those that night. Is someone else doing this other thing? It sounds like that's the kind of arrangement you're talking about. And I think that probably works pretty well, especially for players who've been doing this for a while. And now they're in the point of their lives where they can't just play ten hours straight every day, and you know what I mean. Like, right? They gotta, but you
0: could log on and say, "Hey, I found us a bunch of wood, and I reorganized our our, our boxes, or I went and found where the next quest is going to start." So when you guys are online, you can do that. Even though we couldn't like do it together at the same time, we're still contributing.
1: So my yeah,
2: friend, it, it, oh
1: no, go ahead. Go also ahead.
2: Say it, it could also look like. I'm a great alchemist and I have a character that has all these rare recipes and I'm going to bless your shard by coming in and taking your ingredients and combining them into these potions that you wouldn't otherwise have. Um, I think that those dynamics are things that have kind of fallen out of the way, by the wayside in MMOs for the sake of, for the sake of quality of life. Whenever someone feels like, oh, I need to make 16 different potions because there's 16 potion slots. There was a time where, um, I'm picking on World of Warcraft, but understand that I love it deeply. I worked on it for 14 years. Hardcore <laughs> player. One of the things that happened, though, was it felt very arduous to get ready for a raid. There were, like, five different potions you could have. Flasks would would fade whenever you would die. There was just so much preparation that you could do that um, people felt like it was mandatory to do. And so the systems would get kind of pared down. So. Potions turned into a battle elixir and a guardian elixir, and you could only have one of each. Mm. What that kind of did was like remove a, the job of the person who just like to make up a bunch of different potions and it also removed the how special it feels to get the potion that's not like the best potion for this class um, and that's sort of the kind of thing we want to hearken back to. We want to have communities where there's a, a breadth of things that people can bring to the game um, without kind of like quality of lifeing out the need to have other people play with you Mm. though uh, the thing that I also wanted to underline was like that doesn't mean that the solo player can do everything in blue shards right there will be bosses that you'll run into that you're like this is gonna take 10 people and I can't do it myself and that's okay because you won't need to kill that 10 person boss just to complete the shard that's just one of those joyful things that you'll find that you hope you can complete and that's like that tension of like time investment in the blue shard before you you ditch it and you start over or you turn it in and you cash in um in our model
1: does does that also translate to um just kind of leading from what you said about potions and the person who used to provide those and their job being diminished um if there's anything i miss about world of warcraft in rating it's that it used to be every class brought something cool for everyone and that usually meant a buff of some sort um You know, and some classes still do, obviously, and priests are very good at certain things and that sort of thing. But, you know, hunters used to have stuff that would benefit everyone during the fight. Don't really have that so much anymore. Um, Even their presence sometimes would just make people run faster. And they kind of got rid of a lot of those things. Greg, do you you see class abilities, uh, which I know today is not really about that, but that philosophy seems like it would maybe lead into that as well.
0: We're hoping so. Part of the design is by having a lot of different classes that you will often... This concept we've been talking about, like, of, of experimentation and deciding which way you're going to approach something should apply to classes as well, where you say, well, we don't have a hunter with us today, but we have this archer character that can do similar things, so how are we going to how are we going to approach the fight differently? Or we have a different buff than we were expecting because we don't have the guy that brings, like, plus 5% shadow damage, but we have a different buff instead. Right. And again, we're hoping it's the combinatorics of all of those different classes that helps to make it make it interesting to when you're fighting bosses a different way, you're exploring a different way just because you have a different mix with you.
1: I got to start using the word combinatorics more often in my life. It's really it's awesome.
0: It's a useful word because we talked like Candace said, we used to talk a lot about procedural generation. And I think that led players to think, oh, you're making like No Man's Sky where every world is completely random. Yeah. And really, in some ways, it's more of a roguelike where there are there's a chance of X and there's a chance of Y. And then when X and Y occur together, that's a totally different experience. Mm. So that's why I was saying, maybe your blue zone will have witches. Maybe your blue zone will have a castle. Maybe it'll have a witches and a castle. Mm. Maybe the witches will live in the castle. And all of that starts to mean that you've seen a castle before, but you haven't seen it in this circumstance.
1: Yeah. And once again... Disclaimer, when we bring up witches or uh, <laughs> carrots, we're not, there's nothing, confer- it's not canon yet. All right. It's not saying you're going to get to be a witch. Uh, we got a message here at our uh, text line, 801 471 uh, this is about the world, and I think it fits really well here. Uh, either of you can answer this. Hey, Greg and Candace. you often refer to the game as a world, but so far, art illustrations that you have on the site portray less of a world and more of a series of fragmented asteroids with various environments and biomes scattered all over the place. To me, this indicates that the world of Ghost is more of a selection of playable levels than we might uh, that we might be teleporting to regularly. Uh, why does the art style seem so fragmented in this way? And can you elaborate on this concept and what you mean when you say world. Either one of you.
0: Overall, we're saying world to mean like the the IP, the game world you're playing in. It's not a science fiction game, so you're not like traveling to different planets. Mm. At most, you're traveling to these different earthbergs, these different like chunks of rock floating in the sky. But we always talk about the shards floating in the sky, not like in in outer space or something like that.
1: Right. Your (laughs) Corgis went away. (laughs) <laughs> Candace, do you, uh, as far as it being like the feeling that you're just, when you sure. say a blue shard, you're not really just saying, well, go over to this as, I love, the, by the way, the, the term, uh, earthberg, that's amazing. Ah. Um, but it's more than that, right? It isn't just, "Oh, uh, look at that over there. We got to go to that earthberg and solve it. You know, it doesn't necessarily even mean you're going to go from a chunk of floating earth to another chunk of floating earth. Right.
2: There should still be, a, a, and our technology is actually very promising at this point, that we could still have very large, like, door sized contiguous world spaces. And so there will be there will be that. There will also be, in the same way that I'm just going to keep using WoW because it's what I know the most, but Destiny does it, too. I think Destiny does it on the more smaller scale, scale, where, like, the playable zones are still quite large, but they're still connected through going for your spaceship and then going to the main city, um... But WoW kind of does the same thing, where they have they have you know the known world, then they have the Outlands, and then they have the um, Drenor, and they have like all the different other continents mm-hmm. that kind of get introduced over time. So to some extent, that's just inevitable. If we're talking about like what is the scale of the contiguous open world, it's still a big open uh, open question for us because what we're focused on right now for prototype is getting blue shards right. And so you'll see a lot of that in our art as well, that like, we're like, what could this look like? And what could this feel like? Um, What is the blue shard experience? How big are blue shards? And it's like really top of mind. And so that's where a lot of our our art comes from, too. But eventually, we will be creating our large, contiguous world that you don't zone to get between the areas of and still reconciling that with. So how does it feel to have bits of that world change over time? Like, is it? Is it that there, if you think about like, if you think about Eastern kingdoms, like, does that mean that Red Ridge is just gone sometimes? And then that something there will be, sometimes there will be something new instead of Red Ridge? Like, we still don't know the answer to that question because a lot of it is also like, what is our technology capable of? But I can say, like, with, I can say with confidence that we do want to have still like one large contiguous open world that at the center of it are, is the big city or the cities of the game as the as the game grows.
1: Um as would be expected the game will feature lots of progression in various kinds, uh, you know, just base leveling and possibly other systems. Uh we got a question about ghost and its proje- uh, progression system as it relates to this. And uh, Greg, I think I'll throw this to you because I have a, a little bit to add on to it. This is an anonymous listener who said, what are the t- uh, team's thoughts on traditional linear leveling and MMOs, hitting levels to unlock things and set orders, etc. How do you see progression systems like leveling interfacing with your shard system? And the mention of seasons, is progression a space you wish to innovate in? And I would add to that, how important is it to you to have this this thing that WoW does where when they put out a new expansion and even with the original game, it was designed so that you start that content at the level that you're at and hopefully not always, maybe a little short, maybe a little shy. This happens, you know, here and there. But for the most part, you are going to hit those 10 levels in Dragonflight when you've kind of completed quote unquote, the expansion story content before, you, before it opens up and you're doing world quests and all of that. So I would add to this question Is it important that you guys have that that stuff feels like it's locked into how long you played it? In other words, well, I played for 60 levels and that's exactly how much world there is until I get to this end game blue shard stuff that I'll be doing until the next big content release. If all of that made any sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, it made sense. I mean, to to kind of answer them in order, we will have like power progression. We think that is a satisfying part of playing an RPG and an MMO is you you. You get better gear the numbers go up you get a new character level you unlock a new ability like we'll have all of that it won't be as linear as as a game like world of warcraft where you kind of go from zone one to zone two and then maybe you have a choice of zone three or four um the blue shards really come in here because you could just run blue shards to level if you want to Mm. and we think that's also why making alts will be fun and that's why if you join the game late after the third or fourth expansion, you can still just like do blue shards and level up that way. You don't have to kind of like repeat the story over and over.
1: Oh, I really like that idea a lot.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I think to add to that, some places where we could innovate that makes blue shards feel really cool is, um, the kind of like narrative storytelling or narrative progression mattering. So for example, um, if you complete a certain, part of the main story, maybe you can start rolling blue shards that have these new races that are unlocked or this new, now that you've completed this part of the story, if you see this character in your blue shards, they're different in some kind of way. And so you feel that, that progression of the main story, it reflected in the blue shards in some way.
1: Interesting. So, um, we have another one in the chat. Let's see, where is it here? Uh, Oh, I lost it. I don't know where it went. So I'll move on to this one. Oh, all right. I'm going to play this call. This is interesting. It doesn't have so much to do with blue shards, red shards or any of that, but it does have to do with maybe what you're doing while all your friends are running blue shards, or maybe you're running blue shards and maybe what your friends are doing back home. Uh, this is Adam 12 with a question about that. Let's check it out. Hey, it's Adam 12 from chat question about potential roles in this new game uh any thoughts to a social only class something that wouldn't be designed for combat say something akin to entertainer from star wars galaxies you know a role that would provide an end game buff that was useful to players but yet provided a way for players to interact and socialize just a thought something i hope you'll consider bye yeah, Galaxy is a good example of this. Final Fantasy is a good example. Although, I don't know, it seems like there's a lot of versatility in newer games when it comes to this. You're not just being a social character, but what what options are you hoping to give? I mean, without specifics, obviously, we're a little early on this, but can people just be a social class, Greg, in this game?
0: So two ways to answer that. One is we want to have lots of different classes, and that gives us the flexibility to explore kind of niche roles and, and different ways of expressing yourself. It doesn't just have to be, there are six tanks in the game, pick which one you want. And then there are six healers over here.
1: Right. That's Something interesting. Something we've
0: talked about that's even kind of crazier than that is the idea of maybe there's a lumberjack class. The lumberjack chops wood down really well. So you want to bust out your lumberjack when you're going to do a lot of wood chopping. Um, I it's love easy it. to take that into a bad space and say, <laughs> Well, every time I stumble upon a mine, I have to switch to my minor class. And every time I want to buff someone, I have to switch to my buffer class. That doesn't sound fun. So we wouldn't want want the gameplay to be I'm constantly having to switch classes all the time. But more that there are some interesting things we could explore without the expectation. Because more than likely, lots of players are going to have Many alts and not just like one character, which is the only one they play
1: well Candace you're a big MMO player how do you want that to be and and is that even interesting to you as a as a player to play a class that's mostly you know social or you know a dancer somewhere or somebody who does something that completely uncombat related
2: I think for my opinion of that is that it is really cool to have soft roles and we were kind of talking about that before where you have the tools like hopefully we're giving players enough tools in the toolkit that like I'll give you an example of one that I would love to see in the game is like a cartographer. You're not the class cartographer. You don't have cartographer abilities, but I'm someone who is really, I'm really invested in getting this progression for like cartography or something like that. So I have different things I can put on the map. I can I have different tools that are available to me because I've progressed this kind of thing. Um, and I'm, I'm getting better at this role in my group, which is like whenever we bl- spin up a new blue shard, I'm really good at coming in and setting what the map looks like and giving us our 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 destination points and stuff like that. Um I don't know if like if they all need a progression path. Like I don't think like organizing a house needs a progression path, but certainly decorating would probably have its own progression path. It's own like I'm the person that really likes to build houses and I'm really good at that and I have a lot of tools for it. And also like maybe I can suspend that house to a blueprint and then give that blueprint to someone else so they can build the same house. And like so that's kind of where I think about it. I don't think of it so much as like the strictly
0: I'm a level I, I, seven decorator <laughs> now. Or?
2: Yeah. And I, I personally, we're hoping to give a lot of like soft roles in that way that some even do have progression paths. Maybe anyone could do it like organizing, but I don't, what I don't like the idea of is that there's a class that I can spend a lot of time in and there's a lot of the game is now closed to me because I don't have enough combat ability or I want, I don't get to, um, but that's just that's just what I'm thinking now. I mean, I the 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 parallels of having like the botanist class and stuff like that in Final Fantasy is really interesting. I just wouldn't want to make sure that like if we were to have a social only class, I would want to make sure that we're not trying to just like slam in a couple of combat abilities to make it minimally viable, you know? Like yeah. if anything, I would want to lean into like, no, this is actually only social and it doesn't even have like any real combat abilities but I could do things like an example that's just coming off the top of my head now is like an earth shaper or something. Like I'm Mm. really good because I can like manipulate the terrain in ways that other people can't. It kind of like in deep rock galactic, there's like the person that can build platforms Mm, and that's like really, really compelling and really amazing uh, as part of like a group synergy, but maybe they shouldn't also be strong at combat or something like that. And so I don't know. I, I I just wouldn't want to do the minimum viable homogenous Now this person has to be viable in raids or has to be able to even like, I guess they have to be able to defend themselves, but it's a a hard problem. Sorry.
1: No, I, I (laughs) I like that you brought up Deep Rock Galactic. I love that game. And part of the reason I love it is it actually does this thing we talked about earlier really well. You can play it solo. It's all dynamic and procedurally generated. It's not as fun solo as it is with friends, but it's still stuff you can do. And it's also a ways to shore up resources and things while your friends are away. And when you do play together, you bring new tools into the situation. Like I, I didn't expect that to be a, a good example in my head, but it is of maybe where your where your head, or at least the the, yeah. the satisfaction you want to get out of this these systems. That game does really well, maybe on a lower level, maybe on a more uh, focused level, but. You know, how, how often do games, smaller games, not other MMOs, but how much, how often do smaller games influence your design, your decisions, and the, and your prototyping at this stage of Ghost?
0: Oh, I'd say all the time. Like we try to play lots of games because you can learn something from 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 anything, and we'll, we're all going to tend to play like the big new games that that come out, like the new Final Fantasy VII, but it's sometimes the, you know, the smaller games or the indie games or these, these, I'll say weirder in a very loving way, little communities where you do learn something really cool. Like one of the things I love about Deep Rock Galactic is the community is very supportive and likes to help educate you, which is, you know, yeah. Not the case of a lot of MMO communities that could be pretty harsh for someone who's just learning the ropes. So I would love if we could embrace that kind of feeling.
1: Yeah. Candace, you feel the same about like, I don't know, Give it, tell me some of your favorite games right now. And are they and are they having an influence?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, some of the, I don't want to call it a small game because it was Final Fantasy 16, but I think that that game is like best in class and in innovation for storytelling. There's like maps of what's going on and how it changes over time. And so like, Often my criticism for Final Fantasy games is like I couldn't really absorb the story because I maybe missed this cutscene or something like that. But like they gave you a lot of tools to help you understand what was going on. And they were able to do things like selective information. So like sometimes when you're doing a quest and there's someone else that's helping you do the quest, I noticed that it always felt really meaningful when that person, narratively like the NPC, would come back and report to you the information that they had you needed that information in order to finish the quest. It wasn't like, it wasn't just like a side mission where I'm going to go collect the spear and the dagger, and then you're going to get the mace or something like that. Like I, I genuinely cared about what that character had to bring to the story anyway. So I think like, that's a, that's an example of narrative structure that was really working. And I'm like, man, how can we, how can we improve our systems in our game to help you absorb and, and retain that story? Um, I actually have just finished playing this game, Arise. Mm. Uh, it was like it was mm-hmm. like three dollars on sale, and I had a I had five hours. Like, what's? And I think that that game was like a really good lesson in telling story without words. Um, it's a it's a it's a story game. It's a puzzle game where you rewind time, which is like lovely. Um, but anyways, they do a really good job of punching up, and telling a lot of story just through gameplay mechanics and just through like environment that. I mean, if it's still $3 on Steam, you should totally pick that up. Yeah,
1: I was just Um, checking. It looks like it's still 80% off, so uh, if you get a chance. Yeah, that's a crazy reduction. Holy crap.
2: My favorite thing to do is go to the Indie Summit of GDC because I'll play basically any of the indie games that get an award. Uh, The couple of games I picked up last year was um, Wayward wayward strand Mm, that was a really interesting story because it it told a story in real time kind of like immersive theater kind of like sleep no more and you could only spend your time in certain rooms and the story was really heartfelt and it was really cute and it, it taught me a lot about it's okay to miss out on some things um and how to structure a narrative so that if you miss out on that part it still leaves you wondering but you don't feel like you can't absorb the whole story did like a really good job of that or um I played uh, Not For Broadcast, which is not anything close to what an MMO is or even like an RPG or a linear game. But what was really interesting was um, this game Not For Broadcast It's like set in the 90s and you are a person who is supposed to be um, editing the news in real time. So the news is playing. And you have to like run ads sometimes, but sometimes you have to bleep people because they're saying swear words. And sometimes you get to control the narrative. Sometimes you get to decide if they're going to talk about this politician, which image comes up? Are mm-hmm. you going to like give them the scholarly look, or are you going to give them like the embarrassing look? And there was so much agency in the storytelling, but like combining that with the frantic, I I have something else that's going on, almost like a rhythm game. Mm-hmm. It was just it was a masterclass for me in encounter design because I had it had the same kind of parallels. We're like, I have this thing, it's my DPS rotation. I need to be doing this. This is my this is my rhythm game, right? This is the thing that has to be going on. But how many things can I really juggle in my mind and how many cues they give the player like really subtle cues whenever you're going to have to bleep something. Um, and how can I really divide my attention? So anyways, yes, I play a lot of indie games. I play a lot of small games and they're definitely my favorite part of GDC. If, if you If you get a chance to get the vault Definitely watch everything on the Indie Summit.
1: Yeah. The thing I like about that last game you talked about is it reminds me of Papers, Please, but just taken to a kind of a crazy level of It insanity. really was. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff too. Um, well, that brings us to the close of our fourth episode. And I really hope people got out of it what I did today, which is a way better understanding of how the sharding system will work and its uh, you know basic design concepts. Um, we got some real cool stuff coming up for our future episodes as well. But uh, we want to make sure to thank uh, our guest today. Of course, Candace, thank you so much for being here. And yes, gr-
2: thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun.
1: Greg, having you on, as always. I mean, how are the chickens? We we forgot to check in. The chickens are fine. Everything's good.
0: Chickens are fine. I'm eating a lot of eggs.
1: <laughs> well, good, because they're good for you. It turns out we're we're back on the train of eggs are good for you for now. So eggs enjoy good them. good for you. Who knew? Yeah. For a while there, we weren't sure. Anyway, uh, I want people to be make sure they get all the right info. Fantasticpixelcastle.com for all things Ghost. If you want to follow what's happening over there, please do. Uh, Frogpants.com slash street for all things of this podcast. And you can check out the video archive as well as the podcast version of the show anywhere you get your shows. And if you'd like to text us or use that same number as a voicemail line, you can do it. 801-471-0462. We'll see you next time. Get more at frogpants.com.